look at the book of Mark, the fifth chapter, picking up with where we were last week, and then sitting with it. I'm gonna, actually just going to read these verses really fairly rapidly to sort of reset where we've been. It says, now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, there was a great multitude that had gathered to him. So he was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Gennesaret, but where a lot of his ministry was spent. We've talked about that in depth in the past few weeks. And behold, as he was there teaching, one of the rulers of the synagogue came. This would have meant that he was a very important man, a man of of significant authority, high credentials, big influence. His name was Jairus. We're given his name. And when he saw Jesus, he made his way through the crowd, and he fell at his feet, and he began to beg him earnestly, saying, you know, my little daughter lies at the point of death, and I need you to come and lay your hands on her and pray for her and touch her that she may be healed, and I believe that she will live. And so Jesus went with him, and a great multitude of people followed him and thronged him along the way. And there was a certain woman who had a flow of blood, Uh, For 12 years, we would say she had a blood disease for about 12 years that she was struggling with. And she has suffered many things from many physicians because medicine in that day and age was somewhat archaic and very barbaric and sometimes steeped in superstition. And oftentimes people would come and some of the things that they were prescribed to do would lead them in worse place than, than they had when they actually came. In her case, she had suffered at the hands of people who she thought could help her, tried everything, the picture of a desperate person. And also we're told here that she has spent every ounce of money that she had, so she had nothing left. And none of it had helped. She was still the same. In fact, the Bible says that she had gotten worse. So she was a person who was getting weaker by the day, weaker by the year. She had tried everything that she thought of. Nothing was working. She had no more money left. And uh, it's a picture of, of someone who's in a, quite a desperate place. Now, one of the other things we know is that the, the daughter, based on verse 42, we know that the daughter of Jairus was 12 years old. And so it's very interesting. I want us to just for a moment consider these two people because their stories are bound together. You know that? I don't think they had an idea that that moment in their lives would cross their path with Jesus. They would both intersect with Jesus in such a way that their stories would be bound together even under the end of the age. We're still talking about it right now. We don't know her name. She's one of the many unnamed people who crossed the path of Jesus. But we do tend to call her the woman who had the blood disease. And she has her own amazing story that we explored last week more in depth. But again, to appreciate the one, you almost got to look at the other. Because it's like a telescope. You look at the story of Jairus, but then you pull it out a little further, and there's the story of the woman of the issue of blood. Because the first one leads to the other one, which leads back to the other one. And so it all began, began, as we know, when Jesus was in the middle of his teaching, and he's approached by Jairus, this great leader. And again, the contrast between Jairus and the woman cannot be more significant. Why? Because at a social level, they're so different. He is a person of high influence. He has power. He has privilege. He has, we may assume, pedigree. He's highly respected, has all the resources he could want. She, we're told, is now living on the periphery of society. Someone in her condition would have been excluded because of the type of disease she had. Based upon a lot of what was the common practice of her day, she would have been pushed pushed aside. She bore a stigma. She was poor. She was an outsider. They were very different on the social ladder. Uh, You look at it, though, they also share something else, don't they? For 12 years, both of them had something going on. For 12 years, if you think of it this way, he had enjoyed the blessing of his daughter, the joy of his little daughter, that little girl in his life. We're told, I think it's in Luke's account, that she was his only daughter. So for 12 years, we can think of it this way, he had the sunshine of her presence in his life. Anybody, I'm a father, I have two daughters and two sons, my wife and I, 
I tell you, there's a difference. And I love, and there's a unique kind of love that a father has with a daughter. When it's, when it's working right, it, there's nothing like it ever. Special bond, unique, unique and different. I say that because I'm trying to imagine Jairus, how much he loved her, how much he clearly had enjoyed her, and now the thought of losing her after only 12 years. But what's interesting, during those 12 years of watching her grow and become just a toddler into, into the childhood and now to a point where she's you know 12 years age and moving into the teen years, right there to have watched her and enjoyed her all that time, think about it, the same time he's enjoying life, the woman with the issue of blood, for the exact duration, this woman is battling her disease. So for the, each of them, those 12 years, but both paralleling each other, it completely different experiences, right? One experiencing the joy and the presence of love in, in his daughter and the other battling her illness, those exact 12 years. And they're both brought in their moment of desperation to Jesus, which fascinates me because it's a reminder that a lot of times what, what causes people to come towards Christ, and this is not always the case, because I know a lot of us were, some of us were raised around you know, church, or maybe we, we, we were exposed to the Christian life because of our parents, and, and that's good. That's a good thing, and maybe the real challenge there was for us to come to a place of authentic faith with our own hearts, not just because we were taught it, but because we came to a place where we actually embraced Jesus on our own, and some of us may have taken a long, circuitous route to get to that place, may have even gotten off course, but we've come home or are coming home. Sometimes, though, a lot of us don't come to Jesus because of a past, we, we come because we were desperate and we were hurting and we were wounded and we, we had lost something. Something is happening. We were walking through something. Someone extended an invitation to us. The point is, is that I think a lot of times what happens is people find themselves in desperate places and are more open to seeking him, to, be, to being touched by him. I don't know if Jairus would have embraced Jesus if he didn't have a desperate scenario. I don't know about the woman. I don't know if she would have found her way and done what she did and, and was an amazing thing that she does. Both of them were driven by their desperation. It can, loss can be good if it breaks us of our pride and creates an opening. It's not, not everything that is bad is necessarily bad if it breaks us down to a point of openness. That's the point. Brokenness has its own blessing because it has an oppor opportunity to do something deep inside of someone that might not have been possible when there was no need. Anyway, they're both brought to Jesus in their desperation. Let's go back to the picture, all right? Um, he's, Jesus is teaching Jairus, this well-respected man, forces his way through the crowd, and everybody's there. They're watching. They, many of them recognize him, no doubt, see him do what they would, had probably never seen a man like him do before. He throws himself at the feet of Jesus, starts to beg, beg, earnestly, please, please, I am begging you, come with me. His faith extends out to Jesus. I believe that if you will come to me, come with me right now to my house, and if you would touch my daughter, again, look at this. He wants Jesus to touch his daughter. The woman with the issue of blood, in her mind, she's thinking, if I can just touch him. It's an interesting contrast. But he says, if you can come with me, if you will, I, I, I believe she can be healed. Will you do this? Will you do this? And Jesus says, I will. And we talked about it last week. They begin to make their way through the street. And there's a lot of people all around Jesus, his disciples, that says the whole mass of people were making their way. Jesus is going to the house of Jairus. He's going to pray for her daughter. Yeah, that's what's happening. They're all moving together. Jesus is being jostled. 
touched by everybody. And in the middle of this procession, and I'm sure Jairus is saying with as much as he can respectfully, let's go, hurry, time is of the essence. Um, I appreciate it so much. Let's hurry, right, in the middle of all. And then we know what happens, right? We're told that in the middle of this movement, and he's probably on the front. As fast as we can get there, I really appreciate it, right? Because he's on the verge of dying. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, stop. Stop. And, and, and if I'm Jairus, I'm going, no, 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 no. We don't, we can't stop. And Jesus says, stop. And then he makes a statement that on the surface sounded absolutely ludicrous and clearly insensible. And why would someone ask such a question? Because Jesus said in the midst of all the people all around him, who touched me? Exactly. Because the disciples, Peter at the, at the front says, what are you talking about, Lord? Everybody's touching you. Everybody is touching you. You're being touched by all kinds of people. What kind of a question is that? And Jairus is saying, yeah, what kind of a question is that? We got to go. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, no, somebody touched me. Remember, we talked about it. And it's right there. Because the, the woman with the blood disease had determined in her mind that for whatever the reason, in her mind, if she could just touch him, she believed she could be healed. And so she had found a way through the crowd. Remember we talked about it, whether she had just leapt at him, just grabbed a piece of him, or whether she was on the ground being trampled over and had grabbed him. But something, when she did grab it, the Bible says that when she actually touched his garment, that there was a power that surged into her body. And Jesus felt something. This is interesting. I don't, we don't always know what to do with this. It's like it says Jesus immediately felt that something had left his body, and she immediately felt that something had shot through into her body. But she didn't say anything. She kind of just was content to stealthily make her way out of the crowd with the healing that she had been, been able to steal, right? <laughs> and and, and far, she was melting away. And that's when Jesus said, stop, stop it. Who touched me? And then, of course, they say, well, everybody's touching you. He said, you don't understand. Who, you don't understand. Who touched me? Who, you. And that's when we're told he calls her out of the crowd, right? Brings her down. And remember, we talked about this. And again, this is not in the piece that we have in here. But it says that she was so terrified. She'd been, the Bible says she was afraid, and the word is used, trembling. Have you ever, have you ever been so afraid that we're trembling? And it says that she got down on the ground. She was just shaking with fear because she didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't know what, she, exactly, she got caught, she was afraid, she, she wasn't supposed to even touch him, a woman, I mean, in her condition, it was even more of a kind of uh, inappropriate thing to do, and then to do it and to get your healing without permission. She, who knows how Jesus is going to react in front of everybody, and instead Jesus says, well, I mean, he stuns her, no question about it. His opening statement is, <laughs> daughter which is interesting because he was on his way to a house of a man whose daughter was dying. And he says, daughter, um, <laughs> your faith has made you whole. You have your healing. I want you to go and listen to me. You who are excluded, it's a tender term. Jesus doesn't just use it. He rarely uses that phrase, by the way. To say to her daughter, is to say one loved, one included, one a, a part of us, accepted, beloved. Daughter, you don't need to be afraid of me. Daughter, you go in peace. Your faith has made you whole. 
let your healing be confirmed over you. Remember what I said? It was like a kiss of, it was like he kissed her soul. Spirit, soul, and body, you be healed and leave. You're free to go. It was a tender moment. People must have been there just listening, watching, everybody, rapt attention, because it says that she told her story. So she's telling her story on the ground, and everybody's listening to it. And, then, and, and, and while that's happening, everybody's really happy, I imagine, and very impressed. But you remember what I left off with? Except for one person. <laughs> one guy is going, no, no, I don't care about you. I mean, I do, but I want you, I need him to do the one thing in the world right now is keeping him from getting to the one I love who's about to die. And no offense, but I care more about her than I care about you. I need you to come, Jesus, right now with me. I can't have, what is going on here? You've got to come. And while he's thinking this, all of a sudden it says through the crowd, while Jesus is yet talking with the, with the, the woman, it says that a messenger comes to the, to the Jairus. And we can imagine him whispering in his ear, listen, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, but your daughter is dead. So there's, there's no, no need to trouble the, the, the teacher anymore. It's, it's done. And while he is processing that, those words that cut him, hit him, um, devastating words, defeating words, whew, defeating words, while he is hearing those words processed out, it says that while he was hearing this, Jesus turns to him and says, you need to look, look at me. Do not be afraid. Only believe. What? Do not be afraid of what? Do not be afraid that all is lost. Do not be afraid that that death is the final word. Do not believe that this is hopeless. Do not, in this moment, I am telling you, do not let fear take you. I want to ask you and tell you and invite you, only believe. Whoa, well, we need to go. And then you know what it says Jesus did, which is interesting. He says to the entire group of people that are all around him, he says, and including all of his other disciples, he says, all I want, I'm only, t- I want three of you. Look what it says. I want Peter, James, and John, who was his, typically his inner circle, he says, I want the three of you to come with me. Um, Jairus, we will follow you. Everybody else, you cannot come. I want to go now. And Jairus, you lead the way to your house. And what kind of things were flying around his mind? What was that like? What are you saying? What can you do? What are you implying? This is crazy. How can I even be thinking that this is something can even, this is, this is beyond the pale of, of what I don't understand. Why do you want to even go there now? What do you mean, don't be afraid, only believe? It's like Jesus saying, you just need to trust me. Let's take this walk together. Take me to your house. And as he gets there, what are we told happens? Look what it says here, that when they got to the house, there was uh, this uh, a tumult. That's a word we don't use as much here. This is when they came to the house of the ruler, verse 38. They, the ruler's house, they, the leader's house, they saw uh, a tumult. There's this tumult. There's this great commotion uh, going on. Uh, the picture we have, it says those were weeping. They were weeping and wailing loudly. 
So you've got all these, as they're making their way, again, in our mind's eye, try to see, see it in our mind's eye. We're walking with Jesus and Jairus, who's already shaken, not quite sure what Jesus means. And as they're getting closer, they hear the voices, first from a distance, then even closer, they can begin to hear it. And you, what you have is this, this sound of screaming and wailing and crying and mourning and people who are joining in, not just because of the loss, which was real pain, but there, there were other people who felt that, the, and it was customary in their day, that you would join in the loss. And the way in which you joined in that loss, if you were a friend of the family or someone who, who loved them, you would share in their pain and you yourself would enter in fully. And, and, and the way you did that was by expressing in a verbal way your, your uh, loss and, and your, the mourning of, of what had happened was something you participated in fully. So the point is, there are these screams and cries and weeping going on, and they're walking in to this house where death is everywhere and pain is everywhere. And Jesus gets into, that, into this place where everybody is crying and there's loud wailing going on, and he notices the commotion and he says, why are you all so worked up in this commotion and weeping. Don't you understand, as far as I'm concerned, right now, this child is not dead. She's only asleep. And they, this says that they ridiculed him in this moment. The older version says in the following verse, the way it was translated, says, and they laughed him to scorn. That they, they said, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? Are you crazy? She's dead. What are you talking about? We saw, and in Jesus' mind, he's already, he's basically saying this, true, the body's dead, but the spirit I will bring her, he's basically, I will, she is not, that spirit is, I am bringing that spirit back into this body. He doesn't explain himself. He said that, he says to, the, to Jairus, he says, I want you to empty this place. I don't want this here. I want everybody out. The only people that I want to stay is you and her mother and these disciples of mine, and that's it. Everybody else out. And it says that they, after, after that happened, uh, he clears the house, enters where the, and then it says that he took the father and the mother of the child, and the, he said, now I want you to come with me. You show me where she is. And he makes his way, we would assume, to a room. And there he the, walks into the room, and they enter in where the child is lying down. We're covered, we can assume. Maybe her body at this point limp, lifeless, dead. And the picture we're given is a vivid one. It says Jesus gets down, and he takes her by the hand, which is interesting, he holds her hand and he whispers words that we actually have recorded in the scripture that are in Aramaic, not Greek, not Hebrew. The words are still readable. Not all agree on the pronunciation, but it sounded like this as Jesus whispered to this little dead lying uh, on this bed, this girl of 12 years of age, his beloved, he says to her, Talitha, Kumi, little one, little damsel, literally little lamb, arise. And it says he takes her by the hand and, and, and life flows back into her. As real as that life that shot in the woman when she held a hold of him, the words of Jesus brought life into this moment. It's a remarkable moment because it's so rare. We didn't, didn't see very many moments like this in all the Bible. In fact, there's only three times in the entire Gospels that has ever recorded Jesus ever doing this kind of a miracle. Three times. Once with Lazarus, many of us recognize that name. The other with the son of the widow of Nain. And this one, the little one, the little lamb, Talitha, Kumi. Little one, arise. 
And as she arose, they were absolutely, in one of the great understatements in all the scripture, they were overcome with great amazement, right? Uh, we may assume that they were shocked and, 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 and excited all at once, stunned, unbelieving. And it says here that Jesus tells them something a little bit unusual. In fact, he says two things that cast them off guard. The first one is, I don't want you to make a big deal about this. I don't want you to tell a lot of people. It's like, okay. And the second one is, in fact, what I want you to do, can you get her something to eat? I bet you she's really hungry right now. And, and I want you to get her some food and let her eat because she's very alive. And, it was a spe- and now, that is the account. We've got a few minutes left. Let's take this, and we'll head towards Easter together. I want to say this. This is an obvious thing, but it's, it's something there for us. Hear me out on it, you guys. I want to say the first thing to notice here is there are going to be times when we are going to be challenged to, to really confront our fear. And this has been an obvious theme for us. Um, what does Jesus say to, to Jairus? He says, first thing, do not allow fear to overtake you, my friend. Right now. I am here. I've made up my mind. I am going to do something. When I got up, I didn't get up to do nothing. I got up to do something. You need to, you need to not allow the fear right now that wants to grip your life to overtake you. You need to believe. It's a powerful word. Fear is very powerful. Do not be afraid. Because, again, in two seconds, he was told. I mean, think about it. A matter of seconds, he's given these two incredible things. First one he hears is, your daughter is dead. One. And then the second one is, before you can even process it out, do not be afraid. Boom, boom. Just like that. Very fast. Hits him. And there are times where God's going to, I think, I really believe this. I've seen it in my own life, too. There are going to be times where the Lord is going to ask us not to be afraid. To not give in to our fear. Um, but instead, think about it, to, to make a walk of faith. Because that's what he was asking Jairus to do, wasn't it? I want you to walk with me. We'll do this together. I love that. Does not he ask us to walk by faith, not by sight? Is there at times it's very important for us not to allow our emotions, which are gripped by fear, to be the ultimate directive in our life, but instead to say, Lord, I am choosing to trust you even when it's so hard and I have no idea what you're going to do here. I just know one thing, and I know it for sure. You're with me. You're making this walk with me even in the place where death reigns. I need you to help me confront this fear. Secondly, not only is there going to be times where God's going to challenge us to confront our fear, but he's also going to challenge us to broaden our faith. And I see a difference here. Listen to me. Think about it for a moment, just quick. When Jairus comes to Jesus, what does he say? He says, look, I... Again, it was kind of an incredible statement. He says, look, I believe that if you will come with me before my daughter dies, I mean, she's, she's not well, but as long as she's, I, what I want you to do is if you will come with me, get to my house while she's still alive, and then you pray over her and touch her, I, then I, I, I believe she can live. So he had faith that I, I consider that a pretty significant belief. And you know what Jesus was doing? He was pushing him a little bit beyond where he had been. And hear me out, you guys. There are times where the Lord is going to want to broaden our faith in life, where he's going to ask us to push. Do not be afraid. Here's the Only believe. Push your faith out in me. Let's make this walk together. Only believe. Trust me. All is not lost. This is not hopeless. Believe. That pushing out of the, out sometimes, sometimes we can become very discouraged by our own lack 
that some things we fear will never change. That there is a certain, listen, hear me out with the, the analogy. There are certain places where death has become so entrenched in certain parts of our life where we almost think that, that you can't, th th that's beyond you. And the Lord is saying, you know, whatever that you have been, I can do a new thing. Whatever you're afraid of, maybe sometimes inside of you, let me touch that because I can bring life there. Wherever you feel most defeated, where your scripts seem to rule over you all the time, welcome me in by faith. Challenge that fear. Trust me. Believe in what I can do. Let's make this walk together. Don't allow fear to grip you. Trust in God. Watch what I can do. Open up an avenue of new beginning and new possibility. Why? Because where Jesus goes, life goes. That's a fact. And that leads to the third and final piece, which is this. That we are celebrating, really, if you think about it, we are celebrating the one who is essentially God's final word. So death is not the final word. Jesus is. And that word is life. Life wins. Life is because of Jesus. That is what we are at least celebrating in an intentional way. That death is not the end. That life wins. That God loved this world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Life Yet to come, we believe, help thou our unbelief, and life now in the present. And here's what I'm saying. I'm so grateful for a life yet to come. Every year, I begin to realize what a gift it is. Some people I love are, have gone ahead of me. I have no idea when my time has a beginning. And when my, I know when my beginning is, I don't know my ending. But I have one. And between now and then, I have a life to live. And the life that I live... I want to live as one who's touched by the life of Jesus. That means I've got to welcome him into the places in my life where, honestly, I'm kind of ashamed. The stubborn, dark places, places where death reigns, places where I'm afraid, places where I've got fear, places where I really don't, I'm not sure I really want him to go there, but you know what? He wants to go there. Because wherever he goes, life goes. Some places in relationships, we, we need to welcome him in. It's a dying thing. We need to welcome him in. Some of the places in our own heart is a dying thing. We need to welcome him in. He is the beautiful Savior, the living Savior, who wants to create life in you and in me. May he do it. May we be reminded of this, this Easter season. May his life pulsate through us in new ways. Let's pray together. I'm close. Lord, I want to thank you, because you said that you were the resurrection and the life. And um, we want to welcome your life into us. Living Savior, come to us in new ways. Living Savior, bring life to places that would otherwise be dead. Living, living Savior, come into the places even more ashamed. Living Savior, who brings new beginning, who grows new things, who builds new things. Work your love in us, God. Call us your beloved son, your beloved daughter. Help us to receive the invitation of, of the beautiful one. Help us to surrender to your touch, Lord. At the same time, have a desperate willingness to touch you. I just want to ask you, Lord, to speak to us along the way. We live our lives. The temptation is always to sort of put you on the sideline. Teach us to live close to you. Um, soften our hearts for this coming week. Help us to be open to, to thinking about some other people. Give us something of your love, Lord. And teach us to have a heart of gratitude for the love that you've expressed for us in, the, in, in a tenacious way 
that you followed through sacrificially even unto the end. May we follow in your steps like that, courageous, and then trust you in our places of weakness. We ask for your grace and goodness to fill us. We pray for your blessing as we close the service out. Bless our time of giving. Bless this closing song. Bless this coming week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.